seated. Today we're going to uh, look at the second part of our study of the book of Habakkuk. Uh, when I was uh, asked to teach Habakkuk, I was a little reluctant at first. I read it and I thought, man, I have no clue what this is talking about. But uh, the, the scriptures tell us that all of God's word is inspired and, and useful in our life. And as I got into Habakkuk 3, uh, my soul has been blessed and it is my prayer that yours will be today as well. Uh, if you'll open up to the book of Habakkuk, it's one of the uh, minor prophets. Uh, those are 12 books that um, appear right before the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, Habakkuk is one of those 12. Uh, just as a refresher for you, the 12 are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Today we'll look at Habakkuk chapter 3. Last week, Pastor Gary taught us from chapters 1 and 2, and he explained how the people of God, the Israelites, were living in wickedness. They say, hey, I know that God says this, but, you know, that's not really that important to me. And so God said, hey, that's enough. I'm going to bring judgment on my people by raising up the Babylonians. And he told them through Habakkuk that the Babylonians would conquer them and drag them off as slaves. And Habakkuk said, hold up, that sounds really bad. Habakkuk knew that he was living in a time of great wickedness. And he also knew that there was a time of great suffering that was ahead for the people of God. And as we look here in Habakkuk, Habakkuk is having this faith in God. And he knows that God is up to something much greater. And he said this phrase in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. He said, the righteous shall live by faith. And so what does this faith look like? What is faith? Well, football season will be starting here uh, this week. And uh, let's just imagine that we were at Jeff High's football field. And, and there was the uh, goalpost right in front of me. And I said, hey, I'm going to kick an extra point. And I ask on you to bet $100 that I will hit that extra point. And if I miss it, then you lose your money. If I make it, then you double up. And you might look at me and say, Joshua, uh, you don't look too athletic in your blazer and uh, skinny jeans. Um, you say, hey, I don't remember hearing you tell any stories of you being a, a place kicker on a football team. I think I'm going to pass on that bet. What if I told you that just yesterday I went to the football field and I set the ball there on the tee and I kicked it and I made it? Would you be willing to place a bet on me then? You might say, hey, uh, maybe you were just lucky. I don't know. I didn't see that. I believe you, but I'm probably going to play it safe and keep my money. But what if someone who knew me very well came to you and told you that they've known me for a very long time? And they told you how I was an all-American kicker through college, and I'm currently a kicker in the NFL. And then someone else who knows me as well comes and affirms that story. And someone else, and then another person, and another person. You say, hey, I'm going to do some research. And so you pull out your phone, and, and you look me up, and you see that I've not missed an extra point for the last 10 years. 400 straight kicks in a row. Would you be willing to bet $100 that I make it now? Well, of course. 
That's easy money. Say, hey, I might be even willing to bet far more than $100. At this point, have you seen me make a single extra point kick? No. But you're betting on the reports that you have heard about me. And you've tested these reports, and they seem reliable. And you've looked to history, and you see that I'm consistent. And you're making a bet, not trusting in what you have personally seen yourself, but in what you have heard. And you're trusting that if I've been that reliable in the past, then surely I will do it again. And that $100 bet is a wise and logical decision for you to make. And here as we turn to Habakkuk chapter 3, the prophet is praying to God in the form of a song. We know this, if you look at the first verse, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the Shiganoth. This was a, a song that everyone would have known, and it gave the beat. We also see at the very end, it says, To the choir master with stringed instruments. And as he starts this prayer, he's stating that he trusts in God despite all the craziness that's going on around him, all the terrible prophecies of Babylon coming for them. And on what grounds does he base his trust? Well, as Pastor Gary said last week, I quote, he says, when we are confused by what God is doing, we need to remember who God is. And Habakkuk is trusting in God based on the reports that he has heard about God. And between the verses of 3 and 15, he recounts what God did with the Israelites, how God brought them out of Egypt and how he brought them through the Red Sea and their time there in the wilderness and at Mount Sinai where he gave them the Ten Commandments and as they entered the Promised Land. As he's talking about these things, he's using poetic language, metaphors and allusions. You see in verse 3, he says, Tim in Mount Paran. Well, the reader in those days would have clearly understood that he was talking about the wilderness and about Mount Sinai. And after he gives this account, he responds, God, I've heard the reports about you. And based on what you did in the past, I'm betting on you to save us. Let us read Habakkuk chapter 3 together, starting in verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, and the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation. You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. 
You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors. You came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And today, I will make many reports to you about who our God is. And some of these reports will come from the Israelites in the wilderness, but also many others throughout the Bible, and some also from modern times. And I will show you that God has delivered his people throughout the nations. And I will call on you to have the faith of Habakkuk despite your present circumstances. The first point, as you hear the reports of God, may you ask him for mercy. May you ask him for mercy. Look at verse 2. It says, O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work, O Lord. Do not fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. As we reflect on who God is, we see that God is quick to judge rebelliousness towards his commands. We've also always seen as well that he is quick to show mercy in the midst of his wrath. Think back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. We saw God's wrath. He brought conflict in their relationships and decay to the creation around them. He kicked them out of the garden and he said, surely you will die. But we also see God's sweet mercy when he killed an innocent animal and wrapped them in the skin of the animal and gave the promise to Eve that her offspring would one day crush the head of the serpent. We think back to Israel when they were in slavery. Pharaoh, his heart was hard and he refused to submit to God. And so God sent his anointed one. Moses, to save his people. 
And there he brought wrath. Verse 5, it says, Before him went pestilence and plagues followed at his heels. God poured down hail and insects and turned the river into blood. And the firstborn died. But God also brought mercy. He says, hey, if you will just demonstrate faith in me, kill an innocent lamb and take the blood and put it across the doorpost of your house, you will be saved from this death. As the people of God left Egypt, Pharaoh changed his mind. He says, hey, I'm going to go out against the people of God. And so he came out with his chariots, and the Israelites were trapped there before the Red Sea. And God brought mercy by splitting the Red Sea in half and allowing the Israelites to walk across on dry land. God also brought his great wrath by causing the waters to fall in on the Egyptian army and completely destroy them. And as verse 8 tells us, the waters became the chariots of God to destroy the chariots of Pharaoh. When God's people were in the wilderness, they began to complain to Moses. Say, hey, we have no food. It's hot. We've been out here for a long period of time. We don't have any water. So God brought wrath on them. He says that they may not enter into the promised land because of their lack of faith. But God also gave them mercy. When Moses struck the rock, and the rock split in half, and water flowed out from the rock, so much that all the people and all the animals were able to drink. And we see this at the second part of verse 9. It says, you split the earth with rivers. Think about Joshua, the general of the army, the new anointed one to follow after Moses. When he led the people into the promised land, God delivered his wrath on the nations that worshipped other gods and lived in immorality. And he used the army of Israel, as it says in verse 12, to thrash the nations in his anger. Think about the story of Gibeon, verse 11, recounts of when God made the moon and the sun stand still for a whole day so that the Israelites could completely destroy the Gibeonites. Also think of the story of Jericho. When the Israelites blew their horns and they shouted, and these strong city walls fell to the ground. But God was also showing mercy. So think about the story of Rahab, the prostitute, who had faith in the message of God. And God saved her and her family from the destruction by her hanging a red scarlet cord in the window of her house. Here as we come to Habakkuk chapter 3, the people were not trusting in God. They were living in wickedness. And so God brought his wrath by sending Babylon to conquer them and drag them off into captivity. But later we read that God also brought mercy by raising up the Persian army led by King Cyrus, the one whom Isaiah 45 calls the anointed one to free the Israelites. And there's no better picture of God's wrath and God's mercy coming together than on the cross of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, 
which literally means the anointed one. And all the wrath of God that had been stored up for all of mankind poured out on Jesus Christ as he suffered there on the cross. And God presented Jesus as an atoning sacrifice in his blood so that those who call on the name of Jesus Christ may find a right standing before God. And he gives mercy to us who do not deserve it. And just like the nations before us, if we live in disobedience to God's commands, we will experience times of God's wrath in our life. And I'm not saying that there won't be times where this is going to break us, but God says, hey, I will also give you mercy if you just trust in Christ. If you don't lean on your own ability, God will pour out his floods of mercy, and we may still struggle with the consequences of God's wrath and our, our rebelliousness to him, but God promises that he will deliver us. Psalms 30 verse 5 says, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. For many of you who know my story, this was my life in my college years. I spent a number of years partying, pursuing the pleasures of this world and success. And it was my thought that all is good. I don't need God. But it all came crashing down. I found myself alone and broken and hurting, experiencing God's wrath. But in his mercy, he sent an old friend of mine who had been through the same struggles as me, who reminded me of the cross. And I wept and I repented and I was set on the path of mercy and goodness. And today, if you come here and you are seeking your own ways, may you look back at who God is and know that he will not stand silent forever. There will come a day when you will face the fury of an angry God. May you trust in Jesus Christ. May you beg God for mercy. May you pray, as Habakkuk did in verse 2, in the midst of these difficult years. Make your work known in your wrath. Remember mercy. The second point, as we hear the reports of God, may we quietly wait for him. May we quietly wait for him. Look at verse 16. He says, I hear, I hear these reports of what God did, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. He says, hey, I'm hearing about God, and I'm shaking. And then he says this, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. We must quietly wait for God to complete his work. Brother and sister in Christ, we will go through great difficulty in our life. We should know that there's always been times of waiting and suffering for the people of God. Think back to the descendants of Jacob who were in Egypt. They were there for 400 years, generations of difficulty and slavery. 
And at the time that God had decided, through a series of circumstances, he brought Moses to, out to the desert. And he appeared to him in a burning bush. And he sent him back to Egypt to challenge the Pharaoh he once served. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, they were there for 40 years, wandering around from place to place, hungry and thirsty. God was not just torturing them for fun. He's giving them his commands, building up their faith. When the time was right, he led them into the promised land, the land of many blessings. As we think about waiting, how can we not think of Job, who lost his cattle and his barns and his houses and his children? His whole body was filled with sickness. And there in his time of waiting, it's recorded in the book of Job. His friends and his wife came to him and said, hey, where's your God? How can he do this to you? Just like in Habakkuk, God reveals what he had done in the past. This time it was in the story of creation. God told him, he says, hey, just trust me, Job, I am in control. And Job's response is recorded in chapter 40, verse 4. He says, I am so insignificant. How can I answer you? I place my hand over my mouth. Again, in chapter 42, verse 5, he says, I had heard the reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words and am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. Just like Habakkuk, Job said, I hear about the reports of God, and I am silent. Will God allow great suffering? Yes, and why? I can't always answer all of the whys in your life, but I can tell you that God is always in control. And in the end, God doubled Job's possessions. And Job's story of faith is passed down to encourage us today. So we go to the time of Habakkuk. The Israelites were taken into captivity by Babylon for about 50 years. But God wasn't done. He was still using guys like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he raised up another enemy to destroy the first enemy, orchestrating every move along the way. After Israel was allowed to return to their land, there was 400 years of silence after the time of the last prophet. And the people wondered, where has God gone? When the time set had fully come, God sent something better than a prophet. The revelation of God became flesh, and God himself came and lived among the people in Jesus Christ. Even Jesus Christ had time of waiting and suffering. After he was appointed to ministry at his baptism, he was taken to the wilderness for 40 days to suffer and be tempted, just like the Israelites in the wilderness. There's no better example of quietly waiting than Christ in the garden before he was crucified. He knew what was coming. He prayed, God, I don't like this, but I trust your plan. 
And what the Jews and the Roman governor meant for bad, God meant for good to save many people. And throughout all the scriptures, we see that God has never been back on his heels responding to mankind, but he has always been in control. Recently, uh, I read the story of a missionary named Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary to Burma in the 1800s. He went there to share Christ with those who had never heard. Not long after being there, he was arrested, had trumped up charges as a spy. He was held in a filthy prison with little food. Every night he was chained up by his feet and he was hung upright with just his shoulders and head resting on the ground. He began to develop sores at his ankles and the count says that the mosquitoes would come and eat at these sores. He was there in prison for 20 months. Shortly after being released, his wife, who had went there as a missionary with him, died of an illness. Six months after that, his young child died. He served under this sort of suffering for 32 years, losing many children and, and two wives. And eventually, illness took his own life. Why would God allow this faithful brother and his wives to suffer so long? Just like Job, I, I can't answer that. But let me read you a quote from this faithful brother, Adoniram Judson. He said, if I had not felt certain that every additional trial was being ordered by infinite love and mercy, all the pain and death and struggles he experienced, ordered by infinite love and mercy, he said, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. And I'm here to give you the report that in that country, that from the efforts of this one man and his wife and, and many others that would follow after them, the Baptist Convention now has 3,700 congregations with over 600,000 members. And here we are again waiting. Many of our lives are filled with suffering. You may ask the question, God, how long? I can't tell you how much longer. I can't tell you how much longer you will have to wait to conceive. How much longer you will have to suffer chronic pain. How much longer you will have to tolerate an injustice in your life. But I can make a report on who my God is. And he is a God who loves justice. He is a God who sees all things. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And there will come a day when this God will make all things right, all things good. I don't know when. But 2 Peter chapter 3, 8 says, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And in our time of waiting, 
our time of suffering. May we not be like the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. May we not be complaining to God, turning to false gods. Even though we may have friends in our life like the friends of Job who, who tell us that these things are meaningless. May we take note of who God is, what he has done in the past, what he is doing even now, and what he has promised to do in the future. May we stand in fear of this God. May we wait quietly for him to finish his work. All the while praying, God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done. Final point as we hear the reports of God, may we praise him for his salvation. May we praise him for his salvation. Look at verse 17. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. He says, though everything around us is currently terrible, look what he says in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. He says, despite all this brokenness around me, I'm going to praise God. Because I trust that he will save me. And though the people are wicked and not trusting in God, and, and there's a lot of bad things that are yet to come, he says, I'm going to take joy in my God. The Psalms are filled with King David praising God in the midst of his difficulty. He's always on the run from some sort of enemy, but he's always demonstrating unshakable faith in his God. I think about Psalm 23. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 18. I encourage you all to go back and read Psalm 18 later, maybe before your community group. Psalm 18 is a direct parallel to Habakkuk chapter 3. There's so much language throughout Psalm 18 that matches Habakkuk chapter 3 almost word for word. And in Psalm 18, David and his army is at war with the Philistines. And there's several other giants in the army just like Goliath. And his army was intimidated. He says this in Psalm 18 verse 4 and 5. He says, the cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol or of the grave entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. But then in the following verses, he begins to recount who God is and what God has done. And at the end of chapter 18, he says this in verse 46 through 49. He says, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. 
For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Listen, it is not just good enough to hear these reports of who God is and what he has done and be in fear of God. We can't just believe who God is and shake, as Habakkuk said. We must look to God for our salvation. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 3, describes God at Mount Sinai. This is the story that Pastor Gary read earlier from the book of Exodus. And God put his power on full display in that moment. He shook the earth, and there was lightning, and there was darkness. And we see in verse 7, he says, I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. tremble. The nations that were nearby, there in the wilderness, they saw what God was doing. They, they felt the earth shake. They saw the darkness and the lightning. They took notice of God's power, and they were afraid of God. But later on in the scriptures, we read that Midian and Cushan rose up to fight against the people of God, and they were destroyed. We see this exact same scene almost repeated at the cross. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 tells us that darkness covered the land. And tells us that when Christ breathed his last in verse 41 or 51, that the earth shook and the rocks were split. God revealed his power in such a way that the soldiers who were watching over Christ's body, what did they say? Truly, this man was the son of God. Maybe they became followers of Christ, maybe not. But recognizing God's power is not good enough. James chapter 2 tells us that even the evil demons believe who God is. They recognize his power and they shake in fear. But surely they are not saved. Listen, many in this room have grown up in church. You have heard these stories about our God. Your parents have taught you to fear God. But I ask you, do you trust in Christ for your right standing before God? Is your hope in things of this world or in eternal life? There's a story of a missionary, Nick Ripken. He records this story in his book, The Insanity of God, a conversation that he had with a Chinese Christian woman. Here's how the story reads. The security police regularly harass a believer who owns the property where a house church meets. The police say, you have got to stop these meetings. If you do not stop these meetings, we will confiscate your house and we will throw you out into the street. Then the property owner will probably respond, do you want my house? Do you want my farm? Well, if you do, then you need to talk to Jesus because I gave this property to him. The security police will not know what to make of that answer. So they will say, we don't have any way to get to Jesus, but we can certainly get to you. We will take your property. You and your family will have nowhere to live. 
and the house church believer will declare, then we will be free to trust God for shelter as well as for our daily bread. If you keep this up, we will beat you, the persecutors will tell them. Then we will be free to trust Jesus for healing, the believers will respond. And then we will put you in prison, the police will threaten. By now, the believer's response is almost predictable. Then we will be free to preach the good news of Jesus to the captives, to set them free. We will be free to plant churches in prison. If you try to do that, we will kill you, the frustrated authorities will vow. And with utter consistency, the house church believers will reply, then we will be free to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. This is the story of true faith. Despite the circumstances, trusting in God for your salvation because you know who he is. And finally, conclusion. If you come here today trusting in yourself, in your own ability, may you hear these reports of God. May today be the day that you trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Please come see me in the lobby after this or talk with another pastor or maybe a friend who you came with. May you no longer be running from the God of the universe. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, maybe you come here today and you have great suffering in your life. May you not be the seed that sprouted up in excitement when you heard about Jesus Christ, but when the distresses and the persecutions of this world come, you fall away because you're overcome by the worries of this world. May your roots be planted deep and who God is, may you always be trusting in God. May you endure to the end. And if you are a Christian who is here today and you live a very comfortable life, you have very little suffering, I invite you to consider making the sacrifices to take the good news to the nations to tell people in hard places about our God. May you join Adoniram Judson, who went to Burma, to this unknown culture, knowing that it was hot, filled with sicknesses, knowing that the people there were violent to Christianity. But he was willing to always suffer for the sake of Christ and always trusting in his God. May you join with Paul in Philippians chapter 3, who says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by all means, 
possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. This is what it means for the righteous shall live by faith. May you cry out to God for mercy. May you quietly wait for him to rescue you. And may you praise him despite what's going on. Listen, this is not a blind faith. Betting on someone to make an extra point who has never kicked a football. This is reading the reports about God and how he has delivered his people for generation after generation after generation. And trusting that he has not changed who he is. And betting your life on the fact that he will do it again. Let us pray.